Hey everyone, and welcome to the Unlocking Growth Show, the podcast where we help businesses unlock the next level of growth. I'm your host, Gary, CEO and co-founder of Whale, a solution that empowers teams with the knowledge and training they need to succeed. As an entrepreneur, I understand the challenges of scaling a business, and I'm excited to share my insights and those of my successful guests from around the world to help take your business to new heights. So sit back, relax, and get ready to level up your business game with Unlocking Growth. Hi, everyone. We've got Nadia on the show today. Welcome, Nadia. You're going to talk about budget and how it relates to people in a business. Let's dive right in. Could you share a little bit about what you feel is the relationship between budgets and people, which is not something a lot of companies, I think, look at together, but I'd love to get started there and understand your vision on it. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I, When I joined GitLab back in 2016, I learned a lot from their current CEO, Sid, at the time around sustainability. And if you have this shared ownership in your people organization, it goes a long way when you do things like headcount planning, when you think about the difference between what your headcount and operational costs are. The sooner you do it, it might feel like this tedious task and way too early at any company, Series A, whether it's a startup or a small entrepreneurship or whatever the case may be, right? I think it makes sense to do it early on because if you have this real check on how things are going between operational budgets and headcount budgets, you often come to find that you might have multiple vendors doing the same thing or you might have too many, too much cost in a certain area of a business. I like the idea as well of tying headcount and headcount planning to budgets. I think it's a great way to safeguard an organization to not run into a year later or two years later into series B or C layoffs. I mentioned this to you earlier in a quick conversation that very often when organizations wait too long to start getting their head of people or VP of people on board or even like the head of talent, right, on board with how budgets work in the organization and Mm -hmm. how you can tie that back to headcount and planning for hiring, all of a sudden it becomes very real about the amount of people you add and that cost that it's going to add to the business. So I think it's just an amazing way to partner with the organization. The role of people teams have changed. I don't, this is no longer an HR admin function. This is also no longer just an operational function. There's a very strategic relationship between a head of people and a CEO or a COO. And the quicker that alignment forms, it also means that buy-in into what budgets are for and how it protects your annual reoccurring revenue or car, like depending which method you follow. If your head of people or your VP of people or director of people or whatever follows that same alignment in achieving that, you're all working towards the same goal. You're ultimately working towards whether that's profitability or IPO or whatever that outcome is that you're looking for long-term. Do you feel like we, we obviously went or are going through an economic downturn? We've seen massive layoffs across the boards, medium to large businesses. Do you feel like in events like where we're going through, does budgeting at all allow you to navigate those difficult waters or what kind of role does budget plays when things like today are happening? The role of FP&A, so financial planning, is so underrated in the world of startup, in my opinion. 
if you think about even navigating a layoff or working or thinking about one as a CEO, let's say we have a CEO that has a company of 500 people worried about the headcount cost currently and already considering that. Doing an analysis of what that layoff is going to cost, especially in a distributed team, might change his mind in whether going ahead with that layoff, especially if there's future critical skills he wants to hire for. And so you could really lean on your FBNA team or having someone in financial planning and finance in general that looks after that clear planning and analysis of what something is going to cost. Mm-hmm. I find in distributed companies, layoffs are really expensive. And instead, I would actually lean on into a product like I'm working for now, doing that competencies and skills-based assessment to check what is it that you have at the company that can do those critical skills anyway. And so first doing that skills and competency-based match before layoff is not only going to save a ton of heartache, but it will change the future hiring. There will be less hiring, so you're doing the right thing in terms of laying off at that time then, but you're also protecting the company from understanding the budget and what it's going to take to go through these very difficult decisions. So I think that's the one thing. But I think FPNA in general is underrated in the world of headcount planning. I have so many times seen these small companies grow from, I don't know, 50 people to 1,000 people over three, four, five years. And then going through that hyper growth phase, not knowing what is costing you what and what mm. you're hiring for can be quite can be quite dangerous and it's just this like growth at all costs so i think part of this economy downturn is now a lot of companies paying school fees for that growth at all costs instead of really focusing early on meaningful growth understanding what things cost um, Mm. in their world of operations and headcount let's say you're a business you're a couple of years in your revenue is a couple of millions but you've not really pay a lot of attention to financial planning and budgeting around like headcount. What would you advise to be like some of the variables that they need to take into consideration? Like what are typically some of the costs to look at into what are the top five, top 10 things you would always put in a sheet, if you will? I would start with headcount and separate separate it from OPEX. So have your headcount budgets separate from OPEX. Obviously, they roll up into the same total annual budget. But figuring out what your headcount costs is going to be an awakening in itself. You can then easily start doing what is an average cost per employee. Knowing that number is important, right? If that is exceptionally high, you might want to have a meaningful way to bring that more efficient in, or lower in future by hiring in more efficient cost locations or by checking if you're not overpaying all your employees. And you can't underpay them and you absolutely don't want to drop in their compensation. But having that real number in front of you is going to be important on the long run. If I have to ask any CEO today at a Series A startup, I don't know if they will know their average cost per employee. It's a good thing to know, right? That average cost will also tell you how much leverage you have for future hiring. And then on the OPEX side, I've seen so many companies have multiple vendors doing the same thing. And this could be whether that is like different types of single sign-on providers. So you have Google sign-on in series A and you have a product maybe like Okta and maybe, I don't think that's necessary. So really, again, look at sustainability, cut that wastage away in OPEX budgets early on and make sure that you have this extremely simple 
vendor review process. I'll give you a great example. A while back, we were looking for a company doctor in the Netherlands. And at the same time, our payroll team was searching for something quite similar. And payroll and people is not in the same team. And we ended up implementing two vendors for the same need. And if we had one, I can almost guarantee we would have negotiated way better in terms of Mm. pricing. And we would have been able to streamline great experience. Instead, it became this, who are we going to use? What does it cost us? And it becomes a really bad experience. It becomes confusing. And there's so many administrative and operational costs that you could save by having one vendor to do one thing. It reminds me of a situation we came across not so long ago. We were going through vendor negotiations and we were actually the one selling our software to this large business, thousand plus employees. And it was the marketing team that was actually sourcing our solution. And we were about to sign the contracts and we got on the call and they said, they've got bad news because corporates decided to take this project on a broader scale We were not aware of this, otherwise we would not have spent all this time trying, testing, proof concepting your solution, but we will need to go through the entire valuation again from scratch because we're going to consider this for the entire business. And so they obviously got there in time, but like one or two weeks later, they would have signed for at least a year and then they would have gone through another process of again, evaluating us for the entire business, having a process to identifying what kind of projects are going on with regards to vendors and making sure it's aligned either as an entire business initiative or just as a siloed department, I think is a great tip. To go back to identifying what your average cost per employee is, Nadia, what are some of the costs you would associate with getting to that metric? Great question. So if you think about First of all, your base compensation. So I would nearly say the financial, the cash component of a package, all your perks. So remote companies like mine and all the amazing remote first companies I've worked at offers all these additional perks that includes things like a mental health stipend or mental health or wellness type vendor that's offering a service. And whether that's $2 per person or $10 per person, it adds up. And so other perks, including like healthcare, if that's an additional benefit that you offer your organization. So all the more, I would say, solidified benefit offerings, medical aid, pension and provident fund or a 409A or 401K, like all those packages that, that you can offer your teams around the world. And then there's so many other things. Some companies have a learning budget of $1,000 a year. Yeah, Tescarilla, we we have a 3.5% based on your total compensation sort of percentage for learning and development. All of those things add, and not mm-hmm. everyone knows what it costs to employ one person. Hiring someone is also expensive. And so it's a great opportunity to then use that in your headcount planning, in your management sort of management development programs as well to create awareness of what it costs to have all these amazing people. The hardware they use, the swag that you sent them, the fun year-end budgets, the the summits or the events that you're going to have. And it's also that opportunity to really work with someone in if there's potentially a performance issue, really giving that feedback, working through a PIP with them, considering what they cost to be there, that Mm. importance and what it's going to cost to replace them. So it's really good awareness that you can create in leadership as well. Yeah, what what I like from that as well is 
sharing that kind of number with employees as well because what we've seen happen and me personally firsthand is when you hire people straight from school they join your business and you hand them all of these perks and all of this all of these benefits and this amazing culture that you spend a lot of time building and they come in being like oh yeah sounds normal right like fair to assume this is where it's everyone's doing this right like it's just the standard and then we hire people that have been in the market for 10 15 years and have done different jobs and then join our team and be like amazed we're like wow you guys doing all this stuff that's amazing and so it's harder to explain to people that have had no work experience to say, hey, we're doing a lot of effort in making sure you're comfortable, you're being, you're able to do your best work here, and you finding your balance, that utilizing maybe this number as well to give some of that perspective back to these to these new hires might help in that regard as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the other area that's underrated in the world of people where you can really contribute to business costs and operational costs is When you are signing up an ATS or an HRIS or whatever the case may be, you are not going to need all the features off the bat, especially Mm -hmm. if you're an early stage startup. Series A, I would say to C, you can negotiate in a kind and very healthy way by saying, I don't need these 10 things. Can we please talk about cost? Can we please reduce this by at least $3 or $2 or a dollar per person per month? That tiny change on the long run is going to make such a big difference. And by not implementing all the things all at once, you're leaving good space to build those people programs, to design an experience around the people and the humans that work at this company versus just like throwing everything off the bat. So I think that's also a good way to save money early on and then slowly implement the things that you need. I've often seen people just go for like the top package, like we need all the things and then they don't use half of it. They pay a fortune per person. All of a sudden the people, you know, the company is 500 people and you're spending a lot of money on that product. Or you have to pay that retro amount, which I don't like paying where all of a sudden you get this bill at the end of a financial year. And so just being like open to negotiate, people are open to it. Many vendors would have that conversation at the same time, it's got to be obviously fair for their product. They also have to remain sustainable. Absolutely. What we often see is when when we negotiate with vendors is, and we always negotiate, it doesn't hurt anyone by just asking. And a trend that we've been seeing and which I'm often very comfortable with, and I don't know if, if it's something that you've experienced as well, is where they are like, fine, we can offer discounts and we'll offer you a big discount year one, and then we'll have you be given another discount year two, but a little bit smaller. And then year three is going to be smaller yet again. And it allows you as a business to experience the value at a lower cost and then move as your business builds gradually in paying a higher amount because either you've gotten the value and you're fine with paying that amount or you've decided this is not the right fit and you can still move on. So it's a trend we've been seeing more and more of these past couple of years, which I really appreciate. I think it, it just makes sense. It, does, it also allows you to start gradually with the functionalities like you shared. You do not need all the best bells and whistles, definitely not as a small business. But I would even say for a big business, gradually building out HRIS tools, even tools like ours, is something we promote to do in a phased approach so you can get really comfortable with the software, gain the most value from a select few functionalities and then expand as you go. 
Is that something of a trend you're seeing on your end as well? Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying this, and I'm thinking about whatever vendor you choose, whatever product you choose, right? That opportunity to integrate and automate. So as you do that vendor review and you think about, okay, I want to sign a year on year. This is a core product I'll be using. I will need at least for the next five years. Moving this people data is also going to be really painful. So probably worth signing this year on year deal. But at the same time, checking the rest of your infrastructure If you do have single sign-on, can this product integrate well? Or are you going to need help with like integration or automation related work? Can your tech ops team or your product ops or your um, IT engineering team, whatever you call it in your company, can they support you in this world of people to connect different things? And if it can, even better, because then you can create this beautiful flow of information, very little human error when it comes to people data, which is ultimately the main data all my teams and future teams would work with. And so I feel like during that assessment phase and considering year on year, if you choose the right vendor, they are also going to go above and beyond to help you to integrate with other things like an ATS through SSO with an HRIS or straight whatever the case may be. So as I think about my vendor needs for this year, that's going to be top of the list for me. I have a very small team. Um, I'm going to stay small. We have a more meaningful growth trajectory here at Test Gorilla. So thinking about how do we take our current product? Do I need an ATS? We have an HRAs. What is that integration going to be like? And what products integrate with ours and with our HRAs so that it flows, that it's a very productive and efficient experience because that will also lead to better sustainability. Yeah, I love that. To maybe summarize some of the points that we we discussed. So I've learned that starting your budgeting exercise can be done very early on and should be done early on. Not only is it going to give you insights and things as you plan ahead, but it's also going to prevent you from facing difficult decisions maybe down the road if you've done it too late in in your journey. Making sure that you connect the people relationship to the leadership team, so people to CEO and align on these financial initiatives and goals that you've set forth, I think just make common sense. But I think a lot of businesses tend to not always look at that relation that way. I love that one metric that you should always have being the average cost per employee. Have that as a maybe not a North Star, but at least an important one to keep keep a look for and include things like base compensation, all the perks you have, L&D budget, hardware, software, events, tie everything together and get that metric and see how it evolves over time. So again, you can assume where this is headed. And then about vendors, there's a lot to be said about vendors. I think the no-brainer is make sure you don't have the same, like multiple vendors doing the same thing. Seems like a good place to start, but always go into negotiating. If it's a long-term investment, try to get that value up front and then expand as you go. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add on to this, Nadia, as we conclude this specific topic. No, I think, yeah, I think there's one thing. I think if you're planning hyper growth, knowing these things early on is just going to make your life so much easier. Also from a reporting perspective, you're, if you're VC funded, they are going to love working with you if you can share these metrics and reporting and numbers early on. And so it does create a very healthy board relationship as well in my experience, but it's also going to set you up for success. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Gary. That was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this valuable knowledge with us. Good. Pleasure. It was great talking today.
If you love the show, feel free to leave a review so other people can find it. Also, check out our blog for additional resources. Just sign up on usewhale.io slash blog. Until next time. Thank you.